a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another day of recording. How are all of you doing? What are you consuming for beverages tonight? I went down and found, it was literally like in the corner of my fridge where I couldn't see it, but I found a peach pear LaCroix. Oh. oh. Do they even make those anymore? How old is that? It's not, it's not that, oh, you don't like it? No. I think it's good. Uh-huh. I like it. Obviously, it was in my fridge, so like the rest oh, of the pack no. was gone. But it's not coconut, a- at least, or pure. Oh, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It is only the third worst. Purity culture has come for LaCroix because now there's a pure oh. LaCroix. That's funny. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty well myself, Emily. I'm drinking a hot chocolate that I made with some milk and my drinking chocolate. And this time I put a little bit of cinnamon in there and it is pretty oh. delicious. I couldn't find my milk frother though. That was a little. Uh, well, that's annoying. Upsetting. I don't know where that went. So it's not like fluffy, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Hold up. There's a mm-hmm. joke here somewhere about how like flavored LaCroix are not saving themselves for the real deal. Right. And the pure LaCroix is the only one that's abstaining until marriage when it could be like an actual fruit juice instead oh, of just fruit juice adjacent. Isn't it? There's a joke there somewhere. What? Something about yeah, the dilution of the like gift that. of sex from the divine or something like that, right? We are talking about hot chocolate, Stephen. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go back to LaCroix because I- It'd have to be something about like the, the full spectrum of flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, I agree. Taste yeah. the rainbow. Right. Oh, that should be LaCroix's thing. Taste the sexy rainbow mm. is LaCroix. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what? What are you what? drinking, Emily? I, uh, I am carrying on my standard- Two fist in it. Uh, in one hand, I have a from Kona Brewing Company. It is a island lager. Uh, it's a very like rich oh, lager. Nice. It's nice. Yeah. Honestly, just found it in the back of my fridge as well, and just said, you know what? Why not? So there's one. Uh, and then my other one is just a really nice tall glass of water. Uh, so those are those are my beverages. Uh, water, water. Uh. I'm going oh, to because my. today's topic. <laughs> yes, that was a good segue, wasn't it? I thought it was. I, th- I thought it was. Um, so today, for all y'all who are listening, the day we are recording is little Thea's four month. Uh, she's four months old on this day, November 14th. Um, it is also the day that Alex and I had the joy of presenting her. Uh, for her baptism in church. Um, and I did not oversee the baptism. I actually got to participate as a parent. Wow. Which was great. I loved it. I specifically requested that I do not perform the baptism uh, because I wanted to take part in the vows that the parents 
are asked. And Alex and I had talked and we said it was important that we share that together. So I had our district superintendent, Mark Calhoun, who was here for our charge conference anyways. Um, he, um, I've known him for a long time. And so I asked him to do it and he was like, just moved to do it. And it was wonderful. But baptism like that, you know, we've talked about Eucharist um, and we've talked about what other religions and other denominations considered to be sacraments, but we have not actually talked about baptism yet. And when I was talking about baptizing Thea, uh, I think it was Josh uh, that was like, baptizing infants? I've heard of that, but like, what? (laughs) That was a pretty good impression. I feel very honored. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, us Baptists don't dunk the babies. Oh, we, my mom, uh, what's the term that she uses? Dipped. <laughs> she wants to be dipped. But I think baptism is, one, such an interesting topic, like such an interesting concept. Um, but it is one that can be controversial. So, don't know if it'll necessarily go down that way, but I want to just, like, open the floor. A, were you baptized? And B, when were you baptized? Oh, I was totally baptized at like age five or six-ish. It was like at a small town church. My dad only was an interim pastor there for a year. There was maybe like 30 or 40 congregants. Like it was really, really small. Actually, that was probably the majority of the town. It was like single church town, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to think about. And I remember one of the girls uh, in the church who was a little bit older than me was like talking to my dad about getting baptized and he was like meeting with her to like go over all of the specifics. And I just remember feeling like, wait, I want to get baptized if she's getting baptized. Like it was totally like a, like a social thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that still counts. Like that's like, like for religious purposes and for like functional, like I went through with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you were about five. Okay. Steven, yeah. what about you? Ooh, I think I was probably 11 or 12. Yeah. And it was like, there was like a lead up class is probably the wrong word for it but it was like i met with my youth pastor a couple times beforehand Mm, mm -hmm. to talk about what baptism meant what i was choosing to do why it was such a big deal to do it with like in front of the church and all that Mm, yeah mm -hmm. that feels right 11 or 12 i was in middle school for sure oh okay so i was baptized roughly around the same age as thea and she actually was wearing the gown uh, that my sister and I wore when we were baptized. Aww, that's sweet. Uh, so it's it's very cute, very cute tradition that we're uh, carrying on. How do you all feel about infant baptisms? I guess I didn't know that any Protestants did it. Oh, that's my main thing. I thought it was I thought it was reserved for Catholics. Oh, to be honest, and that's why it surprised me when you said that Theo was getting baptized today. I was like, wait. Methodists do that? Like, I, I guess I just don't know what, which denominations do that because it always seemed very black and white to, in my church context, it was like, well, the Catholics do this, we do it this way for obvious and better reasons is how it was framed. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page. I mean, I think that infant baptisms, I've never been to one, but like from my perception of them is that they're just so close to what Baptists do and they call them baby dedications where like the parents come up and like the pastor like pronounces some sort of like like promise or blessing or like there maybe is some sort of vows but maybe nothing officially dictated it's just like kind of personal and social 
Mm. And mm-hmm. the baby baptism feels like so close to that to me. And it feels much different than an adult baptism where ad- an adult is like consenting to like, this is my faith decision. And like, I do want to symbolize this. And I, I don't know if that's what baptism is going to mean. I don't think that babies can or should be submitted to that. But maybe that's just my Baptist showing. But if it's just like cute honoring, like, welcome to the club, like, do you promise to like raise your kid right kind of thing? Like, I think maybe that's probably acceptable as a part of religious community. But I think it's markedly different from adult baptism, right? Mm, I'm going to hold my thought. I'm going to wait. I want to hear what Stephen has to say. First. Okay. I've always felt the baby dedication, like the the Baptist baby dedication is just like, a well, we still need something that's meaningful for parents who just had a kid, right? And if we're not going to mm. do this, then we're just going to make something up and not really even make it up. It's just like, it's basically the same thing, except there's no like sprinkling of water. Mm-hmm. And I've like, I've, I've had that since, since very early on in youth group. Like even when I was choosing to be fully immersively baptized myself, I was like, other churches seem to do this early. And that, that seems okay to me. Like my mom was baptized Catholic and she doesn't regret it. And if anything, it, it is a like a touchstone for her and her family where she is no longer Catholic, but it's still something that they share in common and that like draws them into conversation. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, it draws them into conversation about it a lot faster. Right. And like it keeps their family engaged and and it's just meaningful to her. Right. Being the oldest of 11 kids, like it's something they all have in common and it's something that binds them together even more. Um, I think Josh, I think your Baptist is showing. And I think a couple of years ago, I probably would have just wholeheartedly agreed because it used to be a question of like consent for me in that way. I wouldn't have framed it as consent, but it's like, yeah, the baby doesn't really have a choice. And like, maybe that kid grows up to be an atheist and like, is their infant baptism something that they're going to be ashamed of? Maybe. But I also find it a, a very beautiful ritual for a whole church to like gather around a family with an infant to to have a moment together. And also, there's a way that I look at infant baptism and it, to me, confirms what I've, what I've believed of especially early Catholic doctrine that is kind of, it's pretty universalist and I kind of like it. I mean, the word Catholic does mean universal, so. Yeah, yeah, no, but but the practice Um, of, like, mm -hmm. of baptizing an infant and going through this ritual, to me, symbolizes the recognition that this person is loved. They always have been, they always will be. Mm. I don't know. I think the the consensual adult version of baptism hinges a lot around the moment where the person, like, prays the sinner's prayer and admits they're, like, sinful and fallen which are good things to recognize. It's good to recognize sin in you and, you know, ask for the grace for it to be forgiven and then to repent, right? And change your action. But I also like the symbolism of like an infant not necessarily having that choice and yet still being offered the same, I don't know if you want to consider it like (laughs) badge that gets you in the club, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, because even people who've left Christianity like still point to baptism as like a point in their journey. Like, well, I was baptized Lutheran, but like now I'm agnostic mm-hmm. or something. You know what right. I mean? Like, yep. it's like seen as a marker either way. But Well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, yeah, it's like the initiation mm-hmm. like, into this journey, like this faith journey. Mm-hmm. Which denominations do practice infant 
baptism. Catholics, Methodists, Episcopal? I, yes, I do believe Episcopals do. I can confirm that. But Orthodox don't, correct? No, they do not. Fascinating. Let's see. I think what intrigues me about baptism, like infant or not, is that in some ways it's seen as a universal introduction to Christianity. And it's one of two, quote unquote, universal sacraments. You know what I mean? Totally. Oh, wow. Here is a list. Okay. Catholics, Eastern and Oriental Orthodox. Oh. Uh, And then for the Protestants, uh, we have Lutherans, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and other Reformed denominations, Methodists, Nazareans, uh, Moravians, and United Protestants. What? I'm sorry. What are Moravians? I've never heard of them. Um, like Unity of Brethren, it's one of the. It's actually oh, one of the oldest like Protestant denominations. Quaker. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Very similar to Quaker. Yeah. So, but those are all. That's a big list. That is a very big list. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, and the term, the term for the opposition to infant baptism, I didn't know this is catabaptism. Mm-hmm. I've heard this. Like I, I should huh. have known that that was a thing, but like, ta-da, it's a thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, now I want to know the etymology of that, because that reminds me of, like, cataphatic. Oh, yeah. Like, you're choosing oh. it, oh. right? Or, like... But also catechism. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Mm. Do you know what I mean about, like, about the, like, universal sacrament kind of thing? Like, it's mm-hmm. only communion and baptism that all denominations all recognize denominations, as yeah. sacrament. Right. Yes. Which is interesting. Like even even Protestants who uh, love to harp on uh, marriage between one man and one woman don't recognize marriage as a marriage sacrament. As a sacrament. <gasps> oh, whoa! I wonder what it is about Eucharist and baptism that sets those apart from other. Ooh, I have a theory. <gasps> I do too. Ghosted. What's yours? Is it that those are the ones that Jesus did? I was just gonna say that. Yeah, he never got married. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus himself gets baptized by John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, conveniently, his last name was the Baptist. So that's cool. Yeah. Fun fact. He founded um, the Baptist denomination. So mm-hmm. yeah. Fun fact. Fun fact. That's great. But yeah. Okay. So like Jesus being like a participant in baptism. Mm-hmm. Was baptism a Jewish practice before? Emily, can you fact check this? Because what I've heard is that baptism was an accepted practice at the time, especially during Second Temple Judaism, to initiate converts to Judaism, to represent like the crossing through the Jordan. But I don't actually know if that's true or if that's like sermon mythology. Yes. So they didn't actually use the term baptism. Oh. It's a different term, and I don't want to mispronounce it. So I won't pronounce the word, but I can spell it. Uh, uh, uh. T-V-I-L-A-H. It has a similarity to baptism, um, and it's basically like a purification ritual, and that's how Mm. they see baptism as well as like this purification initiation. There's a, um, oh, I'm going to blank on the name, Qumran, Uh, the community where uh, they found like the Dead Sea Scrolls and whatnot. Mm. Mm-hmm. They actually had a ritual where they had these like the giant bathhouses 
the mikvahs where they would walk in, they would bathe themselves, and then like they would walk out. And it was like to symbolize being pure and to initiate the start of this week, like the start of this holy week that they were um, entering. And I actually like wrote a really cool paper, like reflecting on seeing those mikvahs and modern baptism and like how we see it as this initiation into our journey with Christ. Hmm. But do we hold on to the idea of like purification? And that's what I like about the Methodist tradition of baptism is we don't hold it as a means of like simply being purified. Like that's a part of it. But what we really hold on to is the communal aspect of baptism. Like Hmm. It's not just about the person being baptized. It's about everyone else that's witnessing it as well. Mm-hmm. Like they participate and they actually have vows as well. So like to like for Thea's baptism, we were holding her and Mark had all these questions. And I love our baptismal vows in the United Methodist Church. They are so, I think they're beautifully written. Um, and I think it speaks to the character of like what the Methodist tradition strives to do. So like one part in particular, you ask, will you help in ensuring that this individual resists evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And I absolutely love that. It's like my favorite part of the whole commitment. Um, And so then like we say, we do, we will. And then we turn and ask the church, like everyone sitting there, like, do you as Christ's body promise to blah, 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 blah. And then they say, like, with God's help, like, we will ensure that this person is loved and welcomed with open arms and we will guide them. And we will remember our commitment when we were baptized. And this is a chance for us to renew and to remember and to help ensure that this person does the same. Like, it's a really beautiful service. Like, it's a really beautiful, like, celebration, really. Like, we're celebrating this person coming into this journey and we get to be a part of that journey and we remember our own journey that we started. And it's it's really meaningful. Um, I really loved it, actually. Like seeing her being baptized, like I know I don't remember being baptized, but I remember the commitment like that I think of my church family and my family made when I was baptized. And like now I'm doing the same for my child. And mm-hmm. it's just like a really precious thing to think about. Mm. And what's cool is you can do it at any age. Oh, really? That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Oh, we. Oh, yeah. You could be baptized at four months. You could be ninety-nine so, years old. Like, will Thea get baptized again? In the Methodist tradition, you are only baptized once. Okay. Okay. That's what I was always taught too. And then, like, if you felt like you needed it again, it was just like rededicate yourself to Jesus tonight. You know. But. If I finally just give in and, be, and become Methodist, Emily, do I have the opportunity of being baptized as a Methodist, even though I've been baptized as a yes, you do Bible church person? Okay. You do. Interesting. I think that is what's interesting about baptism is that like not every tradition celebrates baptism the same way. Like Baptists hmm. don't do the whole vows thing. Like I was only introduced to that at that Episcopal church I just started attending uh, like right before COVID, which actually I just looked them up and it looks like they're doing services again. And I like hadn't even oh. thought about that. And uh, I'm kind of excited. So stay tuned. But they did like a, I don't know what you would call it, but like a, like a reciting of baptismal vows. Mm-hmm. The closest thing us Baptists have to that is like the whole three question, tell me who Jesus is. 
And then, then you give like a very subjective answer. And then you're like, well, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And something else. I don't know. Like, do you believe and then that you say yes? Yeah. Yeah. You just like say <laughs> yes. Or like, it's like always leading questions or like you give really vague answers and mm-hmm, they maybe mm-hmm. meet with you once or twice or something. I don't know. But like the vow thing, I think is very, very different. And I can see why a lot of people find meaning in that. But it is interesting to me that different denominations like quote unquote accept like your initiation into Christianity, regardless of like how your baptism took place. Yeah. So like, Stephen, if you wanted to be a Methodist, like we would honor your baptism. But if you wanted to be baptized, like as a Methodist, we would like it's up like it would like it's the individual who would like really. But like technically, like we the Methodist tradition, like you are baptized once, like one and done. That's all it takes. One and done. And then you go through like confirmation and and like baptism in the Methodist church, it initiates your journey with Jesus and your faith journey. And we, for like membership purposes, we would consider that joining as a member of the church on the profession of faith. That is what we would call that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm thinking about now mm, the other sacrament. Because I, I do a lot of thinking about Eucharist and not so much about baptism. That's curious to me. But Emily, do do Methodists practice like open table whenever you offer <gasps> Eucharist yes. and communion? Oh so my like gosh. children can anyone? Oh, I see where you're going with this. Okay, anyone? Yep, children. Why don't we have open pool you baptism? You don't even have to be a Methodist to partake, like to participate in communion. You know, like, and yeah. I love that. It's very curious to me that I guess in in my, I'm kind of blending a few ideas here, but in my growing up middle school, high school, like where I was baptized and where I started participating in communion, it was, it was something that like, you know, you probably shouldn't do communion unless you say you're a Christian. And then usually the sermon would be like 10 to 15 minutes about that very poorly interpreted verse of Paul's saying, like, if you drink this improperly you might die or whatever Mm -hmm. um but like it's interesting to me that especially the catholics will do the infant baptism which my history says that that is something that you need to make a profession about and do consensually and like have functional basically functional long-term memory or at least like cognitive skills to decide you want to be baptized whereas the catholics will go for infant baptism but the Catholic version of like waiting until you can make a choice is first communion mm. for like 10 and 11 year olds. Right. At least as, as far as I remember it, like I remember it being a big right. deal when my cousins started hitting that age and we would do these big first communion parties. Mm-hmm. And it's very curious to me. And I honestly like it a lot that the Methodists are like, yeah, you get baptized early. You, you can, <laughs> start participating in eucharist early like everyone's welcome everyone's here yeah it doesn't like there's no like i don't know age of is is that something to do with like what theology has tried to do with age of accountability like some people treat that age threshold differently possibly huh josh your question is interesting too like open pool everyone just pool party baptism <laughs> <laughs> A mass, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that does make me think of the uh, the story in the Gospels by the pool of Siloam. Um, oh, oh yes, yeah. What, I've seen that pool. <laughs> Doesn't the story go like 
an angel would visit it every once in a while and stir the waters and like the first person mm-hmm. who noticed and the first person who touched the water would like be healed. Yes. Is that right? Yes. That feels like something baptismal. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. I guess this is maybe more of a philosophical point, but like, I think it's okay for people to be exposed to lies. And I think we can trust individuals to evaluate information and make a rational decision. Not everyone is going to make a rational decision. Right. But I think that that's okay. There might be bad information shared in the marketplace of ideas, but the more ideas are shared, the more good ideas will be shared. And I do believe there's an objective truth. So I think, you know, eventually it's cliche, but like the truth prevails. And now back to the conversation. Why do you think Jesus got baptized? Like nowadays we treat baptism as like religious initiation. Like every organization needs some form of hazing. Like this is how we identify (laughs) who's in, who's out. But like that doesn't seem to be why Jesus did it in the text. Like he was already Jewish. Well... I have a theory. Okay. If I remember correctly, like John did try to refuse. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not worthy. Like, I can't. There's no way. I I know who you are. I shouldn't even undo the straps on your sandals. Straps of your sandals. Right. I think Jesus was baptized so he could be like us, like experience, like the things that we experience. I think baptism is one of those things. Because, I mean, if we think of... If we think of baptism as this purification or as like this initiation into this journey, we're going to hold on to the idea that Jesus, both human and divine, being God's son, was sinless, like, I guess, sinless, uh, you know, perfect, if we want to use that term. So there would really be no purification element to it, but I think maybe it's just the experience element that Jesus was longing for i don't know like i said it's a theory actually it's funny you bring that up because i've heard people bring up the hypothesis which is very similar that jesus was baptized just to show that he was perfect because god then says this is my son with whom i'm well pleased which is interesting Hmm. but i also Mm -hmm. don't think that that's evident necessarily like i like i see the someone making the argument but like it doesn't seem clear that he like then he also draws that conclusion. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. The baptism tradition thing is interesting to me. Like, do we actually know if early Christians participated in baptism for religious initiation? Well, uh, at Pentecost, I guess. Tech- well, I don't know if that'd be for religion. Well, yeah. Oh, I guess there was a Philip in or yeah, Philip in the eunuch. Mm hmm. Which that story is a very transcendent story i will admit it is like the the initiation of a eunuch 
Mm. So like I I really get like the power behind the ritual and like the excitement of like bringing someone into the community with like a cleansing ceremony. Like it's it's kind of regal in some ways. Mm. Like it feels I important. I like that word. Yeah, I like that the use of that word. Like it feels like graduation. What do you think are some drawbacks of baptism? Or like what critiques have you heard people mention when it comes to baptism? Oh, I mean, Mark Driscoll, like baptizing people with a fire hose. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <sighs> what? I didn't hear about that. They used to do these like marathon baptisms. And I, I guess the story goes at one point he was like, this would be just so much faster if we just did it this way. And he grabbed a hose. That's what? funny. Fact check me on that. That could be wrong. I might just be like making up jokes and <laughs> absurd situations in my head. But well, uh, that's. That's kind of a good point, because I think that maybe one of the reasons denominations are so openly accepting to accept your baptism previous is that I think that people have recognized before that if we didn't do that, it would, there would just be like crazy data inflation of like how many Christians we have, because like, oh. Oh. <laughs> if you, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that could be a potential drawback of baptism because like I've heard of churches like really encourage you to get baptized again or like rededicate your life. But then if like all you do is mark that down as like we had this many new baptisms, a lot of people see that as like quote unquote new salvations or like new Christians mm, or yeah. like baptism can like mean different things to different people, I think. And when it just becomes a metric, I think that's a huge drawback to a community. Mm, yeah i agree a hundred percent so that's one critique i have yeah did you see the babylon b article of like stephen furtick installs new baptismal at elevation church and it was just like a uh like a water park slide into a pool that's funny i'm telling you open pool well so actually you do bring up like we joke about like a water slide and a water hose but like even just the means of baptism so whether it's the sprinkling of water or using a seashell and pouring over or dunking or dipping or like whatever the case may be. You know, there are some who honor and recognize some more than others. And it makes me think about when my mom and I were on our trip to the Holy Land when we went to the Jordan River. And I remember like the commercialized element of people being baptized in the Jordan. And it oh, yeah. made me sad. It made me so sad. Um, but I have to say, it was pretty cool to see them like being like dipped, like dunked in the Jordan and like coming up and everyone's cheering and like the white gown that they're wearing was soaked and like everyone was smiling and crying and it was great. You had to pay 15 bucks for the white robe. But I mean, if you're being baptized in the Jordan. Is it worth it? I don't know. Um, do you think it matters the mechanism of baptism, like how you're baptized? Do you think that makes a difference at all? Oh, you mean like sprinkling versus dunking? Yeah. No, I think that's pretty negligible. I don't think that that really makes a difference. I think that what is meaningful to people often is like the acceptance into a community. Mm -hmm. And like it is such a small symbol, but I think that like we miss the fact that it is a symbol, like even though it is a functional thing, like even if you don't think that something is tangibly happening, like any sort of purifying or cleansing, like I will admit that I think that the wording I was brought up with is pretty accurate. Like it is an outward symbol representation of you making a conscious decision. Hmm. And I think if it's framed that way, 
I think that makes a lot of sense personally, like whether or not you want to do it or whether or not you now think that religious ritual is weird or outdated or like segregates people. Mm -hmm. I remember in seminary in a class that I took, we had the discussion of parents who are wanting to baptize their kids just like to get it like off their checklist, sort of speak. Mm. And our professor was saying like he a number of occasions refused to baptize people infants and adults who were just quote unquote checking it off their list well, how he would he, have how would he tell well because like the people would literally come in and be like hi i want to get my my kid baptized and he'd be like okay so, and he would enter into conversation and they would say like well i just think it just needs to be done like the way they would talk about it and he would encourage them to like sit down and like really think about like what it is that they're doing. And I'm kind of like, I kind of have mixed feelings on that. Like, I don't know how I feel about like turning down a family if they say they want to have their kid baptized or like if they want to be baptized. So you would be practicing open pool baptisms in that moment? Cause like I, the, my corollary is all the teaching I heard of people, uh, you know, like, a pastor discouraging non-Christians from participating in communion at our church mm-hmm. or like actively discouraging, like, like it was, it was, it was not subtle the way our church would talk about it. Cause it was literally like, if you have an active disagreement or beef with a member of the church, like don't do communion today, but resolve your issue and come next time kind of thing. And is that just, hmm. it, I don't know. Is that just the corollary? I I mean, Maybe because it does feel weird to be like, I, the the judge of your intention, will turn you away from this thing that is meaningful to you. And maybe you're just having a bad day and your tone is communicating an attitude that I even like that's weird. Even if they were to be like, oh, I just like I just feel like it's something that needs to be done. That's not to say that later on in life, like it wouldn't have more meaning or the meaning would change. Like I can't. I can't determine that. Like, I'm not going to tell you to go home and think about it. That just seems so bizarre to me. Yeah. Unless someone was was taught to believe that, like, baptism was a requirement to get to heaven, whatever. Because I've heard that before. Well, and I think that's part of it. I definitely think that's part of it. Got to make sure my kid has the right insurance policy, so I got to get him baptized. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what your professor didn't like? Maybe. I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering if the whatever you find the most meaningful in baptism is kind of represented by whether you are a church that doesn't practice infant baptism or d- do because like Josh to your point the the symbolism of the timing and like that it was our personal free choice to be baptized at the ages we were I think which is such a Baptist take, by the way. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean is like the the timing of that and the fact that it was our choice to us symbolizes probably the most meaningful thing that is happening. That being like I've I've made a choice. I have you know, I'm I'm turning in this heart of stone for a heart of flesh again or whatever. And I'm going to symbolize that by like being immersed in the water, symbolizing like being buried with Christ and then coming out of the water with new life. And if that's what's meaningful, most meaningful to the community that an individual makes that choice, then that's what they'll practice. But I think, I wonder if the, 
the purification or like consecration angle is the most meaningful to the people who still practice infant baptism because it it's clearly more for the community and like Thea's baptism, Emily, at this point in her life means a lot more to you and Alex than it does to her, you know? Oh, definitely. That's like how I think about when parents throw uh, their baby's first birthday parties. It's like, we all know this is for the mother, right? This isn't for the actual kid. <laughs> we we get that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, may, make it any less meaningful. It just... Right. Uh, it indicates where we should be placing our focus. So I think to a community that does value the consecration purification angle, I also think of images of like the seal in revelation Mm, mm -hmm. and being like marked with the seal of God or whatever that was typically upon the forehead. And then I see infant baptism where like the priest or the pastor will dip it and like trace a cross on their forehead kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, I see what we're doing here. And it's just kind of, it depends on what is most meaningful to you and what's most meaningful to the community you find yourself in. I like that. Because I think they're both great. I do. I I think they are both great. There's a best of both worlds there somewhere where it's like you baptize Thea as a baby and then there comes a point where she's like, I want, I don't know, baptism 2.0 or something. Well, that would be, so in the Methodist tradition, that would be her confirmation. Oh, okay. Okay. No, that's fair. So. Because then you get the best of both worlds. It's like we as a community did this when you were an infant. Like you didn't Mm -hmm. even know what was going on, but we were committing to something. And now at this point, you're making the same choice to like enter in this in the stream of this community. And now you can start making the same exact promises when other infants are baptized, you know. Yep. Paying it forward kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It was really funny, though, during her baptism, uh, because like usually like either get the kids that like scream their heads off or they're not phased at all. Mm -hmm. Well, Thea be like. Alex was holding her, so, like, he's holding her, kind of, like, dipping her head so it's, like, over the bowl. And Mark, like, took some of the water. The key is to use warm water, which he did. Um, He took some and he, like, kind of poured it a little bit over her head and, like, rubbed her head. And her eyes just got so big. And she just had, like, this cheesy grin on her face. And literally, she just unfolded her arms out and, like... (laughs) was just staring up at Alex and I. It was adorable. But it was just so sweet to like be in that moment and to like see the water like over her head and like to see how she mm. was reacting and like when we lifted her up and everyone could see her face like she was just so cheesy and grinning from like ear to ear um and then like everyone like clapped, you know, and it was like just this big occasion. Um so it will be interesting though like later on down as the years pass if she decides like to go through confirmation or like how her faith journey will will unfold mm-hmm. but i'm always going to remember like baptism was important and like it was an important element and i hope that it you know has some meaning for her when she asks about it and reflects on it but yeah it is just a very interesting element i think of our of our faith so, I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't, I personally don't have any other thoughts. Do you guys have any other? Yes, I have what might turn into something. I don't know. I was taught, and Josh, you might be able to speak to this given you your uh, charismatic background, Josh. Um, I've heard of 
the baptism that happens with water that like when you give when you like profess your faith in Christ, right? You symbolize that with the baptism. Then I've heard what people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is a very charismatic or Pentecostal thing that's all about like the giving of spiritual gifts. Mhm. I have always been very curious. I like I think the connection that's happening is like the the story of Pentecost, right? In early Acts and like people being baptized, like speaking in tongues, like being able to preach to this many people at once. But like yeah, this baptism of the Holy Spirit was in certain circles that I used to travel in or at least, you know, bump into. It was like the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the real thing. Yeah, are you familiar with that kind of language? Yeah, but I think that even nowadays, by and large, most major charismatic Pentecostal groups dispel the idea that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an indicator of salvation. Oh, most people think that. I mean, I mean, like the like that quote unquote second baptism mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, like that's usually marked by ecstasy or speaking in tongues or some sort of like overwhelming by the Spirit. There are some groups that believe that you are not fully saved until that happens, but like by and large, most charismatic groups now openly voice against that. Oh, okay. So you were never introduced to that line of thinking. Well, I was introduced to like the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a concept. Like they right. certainly believe in that, but they but don't like marker of salvation. Like you have to speak in right. tongues as a way of knowing. Right. Yeah. I was never explicitly taught that idea. Yeah. I was explicitly taught against it for sure. Oh, well, I like that. That seems healthy. But that is an interesting point. Like I didn't even think about that during this conversation about like some Christians like almost nearly equate that form, quote unquote, of baptism. To be the same, like just by calling it baptism. Yeah. I mean, it was explicitly taught at my megachurch. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. It was something that was fascinating. It was like something you had to like, you had to go through the, it was called crash course. And it was like this four week small group thing that basically like you have to do this before you join the worship team or whatever. And it was like, there was a deep dive on it of like, we at this church explicitly believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's not a marker of salvation, but it is important if you're going to serve Jesus. Um, Because then the language of fire got to be used a lot, right? Because uh, the day of Pentecost, like there's language in the Greek of like tongues of fire, right? And then they would lift that into like you, you should be and should ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in prayer so that, and this is where this, (laughs) I've mentioned this before, but this is where this wild idea of like, you will not experience burnout as a church volunteer or church staff if Whoa. you allow the Holy Spirit to do the burning. Oh, and they, wow. and they, would, they would point at the story of uh, Moses in the burning bush and like, look, the bush isn't burning. It's the Spirit okay. of God on fire. And like, you should be like the bush because you'll never like grow weary and you'll never be tired of like serving wow. the Lord. I've mm. never heard anyone do that. Oh, yeah. Either. It was a bunch That's of wild. gaslighting bulls. But <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was. Jeez. It was. It was Emily, is wild. that the controversy you were referring to about baptism? It yeah, I, yeah, basically. Really, the gotcha. Holy Spirit thing, baptism mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. What is what does the Methodist think about that concept? 
I mean, we recognize that's one thing, like we just don't really talk about the Holy Spirit as much as I think we should. Um, oh, yeah, you have said that but, in the past. But we don't talk about it in that light, I guess I would say. Okay. Like we focus really more on like just like the commitment as a community mm. um, and the initiation. But um, and there's actually a great resource that talks about baptism in the United Methodist Church um, by Water and the Spirit. It's a really great book mm. if you're interested. But I have a screaming child. I can like hear her down the hall. This is so sad. Oh. She's like refusing to sleep. <laughs> That's our time then. It is. I think I have a closing. Baptism as an infant, baptism as an adult, this commitment, these vows, this initiation this purification however you see baptism it's a beautiful process and it's one that can be explored and talked about for years to come it's something that we are raveling out um, but it's a sacrament that is seen with beautiful eyes and it's one that we can participate in and ravel out together Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where every week we discuss our modern world over a fresh cocktail. We start with three ounces of a favorite philosopher. Take your pick of Hobbes, Locke, or Rousseau. Next, we pour in a shot of modern discourse like Second Amendment policy or renewable energy. Sweetened with a dash of lighthearted conversation about salsa cereal or the private space industry. Shake with ice and strain with ideas about modern art or raw milk regulation. Garnish with intellectual humility and moderate optimism. Cheers. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.